Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast, Andy Kamenetsky, Brian Kamenetsky, ESPN LA. Our guest is a very prolific documentary filmmaker whose films include Joan Rivers, A Piece of Work, The Devil Came on Horseback, Knuckleball, and Let Them Wear Towels, which was part of a 9 for 9 series for ESPN. The, her latest film, uh, along with co-director Ann Sundberg, is called Marathon, The Patriots Day Bombing, which takes a very detailed and often painful look at the aftermath of the 2013 Boston Marathon bombing, uh, whether for the victims, the perpetrators, or the city of Boston itself. It debuts on HBO on November 21st at 8 p.m. Ricky Stern is our guest. Ricky, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Um, I guess to begin, can you describe a little bit of just the process of putting this movie together? And, and when did you start documenting these victims and their whole reset, uh, rehab process? Um, we started filming them for, we filmed them over a year. So about, uh, t- April 2015. They had been already, uh, in recovery for two years. So we actually were able to gather a lot of material from, there, there's a lot of material out there, both from the bombing and the capture and the, the aftermath. And, um, but it, it, we par- ended up partnering with the Boston Globe because they were the one news station that had really, or newspaper that had really stayed with the stories. And it was through our research that we gained insight into, you know, specific characters that we wanted to follow, f- photographs with one of the photographers who was there the day of the bombing, and then long-term reporting that had been done. Is that how you, excuse yeah, me, right. just how you managed to get some of the early footage of of various victims going through their rehab and stuff like that yeah so um the the early footage sometimes it was just home movies some you know iphone footage it was photographs it was a a combination of everything and we really most of this film was it was a lot of research but it was also a lot of filming in the past Mm -hmm. year how do you how do you decide what story to tell because yeah, there. The, you, any one of the the families could have been their own documentary. The manhunt could have been a documentary. Right. That you know the the process of how the Sarnayevs became radicalized could be a documentary. You managed to tell a few at at, at once. How do how do you how do you decide and and filter and and go through that process? Well, it was really important for us right after the the bombing. There were several documentaries that came out mm-hmm. in the in the following year about. The FBI work, the police work, the capture, analyzing who these brothers were, why it happened. And so it was for us, we went into it really wanting to tell the survivor stories. And um, so figuring out which stories to tell was a challenge because uh, there were many people injured, over 260 people who received money from the one fund. So many people were injured. And some families lost, you know, family members. So um, it was not, it wasn't easy. But in the end, what was important for us was that that each story reflected a different piece of recovery. So we have three families. They all happen to have an amputee in in their family. But it also talks about, you know, we, we get into the post um, PTSD, post traumatic stress disorder, and um, some of the hidden wounds that people you know you don't think about in the aftermath of terrorism. Yeah, it's interesting too. I mean, you you see the way these different families try to get through the, this awful tragedy, and there's a ripple effect of the way it, it affects the whole family. It's not just the victims of it. I mean, you see in particular with the Corcoran family, uh, one of the families, uh, the the mother and the daughter uh, both lost uh, limbs, and the mother becomes obsessed with watching the footage just over and over and over. 
And, you know, the, the father of the family ends up developing, it seems at least for a while, a drinking problem. Just mm-hmm. and, and there's feelings of guilt. What is the process, I guess, of just watching these families deal with tragedy and I guess not wanting to document it, but not feeling like you're either being too invasive or, or in mm-hmm. a place where they can't really go through what they need through to be better? Yeah, I mean... We- a lot of what we do when we when we make films is spend a lot of time with our characters and and the people in it and, and get to know them as friends. And so, in the case of the Corcorans, Kevin Corcoran was drinking and we were filming. And you know, you you film what you see. And but it was later in talking to him that that you know he was able to reflect on it and say that yeah he was in a very dark place and now he's stopping drinking and that became part of the story. You don't necessarily know as you're filming what, what is going to be part of the story. I mean, you have a direction. But everything changes. Jessica Kensky, who was the newlywed who lost a leg and ended up having to amputate her second leg, she thought this was going to be a year about her fabulous recovery. She's going to be back on both legs. She was going to be running again. And it really took a turn for her. And she's back having operations now at Walter Reed. So you just don't really know. We didn't know what the year of uh, this year would be like for them. Uh, do you, and, and you pull for her, I think, yeah. as, as much as any person in, in the film. Was it, are you, or how disappointed were you along with her that this process just wasn't turning out the way that, that she wanted it to? Yeah, you develop friendship. And, and obviously, it, it was really hard to hear that things were, have been you know, increasingly difficult for her this year. Um, and so you, you do, you, it, it is hard. I mean, I, I do want to say that you know, the film, while it, it, it is hard to watch at times because people are going through so much, we really drew so much inspiration from their stories that, you know, the challenges that they face and the humor they have going through it makes the film, you know, inspirational. And it does go back and forth. We did feel it was important to tell the story of the five days of the capture mm-hmm. of, of the brother and to go to the trial. And we have the FBI telling, you know, it's, it's a thinned out version because each of those journeys could be their own films. Yeah, the, it, it, when you're talking about just documenting this process uh, for these different families uh, of rehabbing and trying to get their lives as, as on track as possible, there's there's this scene where a Boston Globe photographer talks about he he took pictures of the immediate aftermath, and uh, one picture, Sidney Corcoran, uh, the Corcoran daughter, um, ends up ends up pretty well known. And there's a police officer as he's shooting the picture saying, "Please don't exploit the situation." You know, don't try to turn this into something you can leverage. And he didn't mean it in a hostile way, but just a matter of fact. And the photographer understood what the police officer meant. And I was curious how conscious you were mm-hmm. of that same thing. Not that you guys were exploiting it, but there, I suppose, could be a fine line between telling this story that's so compelling and to a certain degree exploiting, exploiting the drama. Absolutely. No, it, we were very conscious of it. And. Early on, you know, you sort of put everything out there and you put it in the film and then you, you say, do we need all the images of the of the of what happened? Do we really need people mm-hmm. to experience it? And as we were going through it, um, we were talking to our survivors who we'd gotten to know. And I, Jessica Kensky said um, she feels it was really important, as hard as it is, for people to know what it looks like when you're blown up by a bomb because they were blown up and and they're living it every day so that that we really tried to be respectful um and not to 
sugarcoat it, uh, but we not to exploit it, not to sensationalize it. You know, we don't do reenactments. This isn't a, this. This is a drama that happened, mm-hmm. and really, the point of showing the American people and the people who watch this film is that y- you, you, there is this impact that we, you know, these homegrown bombs that we don't really know about, and I think the news had only covered it in these small pieces right. and and turned away and. That was important for us to, to find the balance. How do you determine that line? Is it is it you know in terms of editorial? I guess editorial control mm-hmm. for that you know for lack of a better term. Well, I think when you we were talking about John Tomaki, the photographer from the Boston Globe, in some ways he really did that homework for us. That he had gone to the survivors and said, "I I feel terrible that I took this picture of you in such a helpless and vulnerable state," and they said to him. Listen, it's so important for the world to know what happened. And no one, you can hear the words, you can read the articles, but until you see really the devastation to the people there at the finish line, you don't really understand it. So that was important. What surprised you most about about the process of putting this together? Hmm. I, I think just that, you know, while it's been three years, it's it's... It's never going to go away, mm. but it's it's changed people. Um, there are some, you know, highs, still a lot of lows, and I, and I think that, you know, what we see is people dancing with the stars. You know that you you the, the, you want to feel oh a year has gone by, everything is good. These people are doing well, but it, it is a lifetime, it's a lifetime struggle for them. How do you think people will remember this? Because you know, incidents always fade over time; they change over time this isn't that long ago, but it does feel like it wasn't yesterday. I was surprised. Looking back mm-hmm. on it, I forgot that it was 2013. Right. right. I mean, one of the reasons we did this film with HBO is because we were meeting with them, talking about terrorism, and it was at the time of the Boston Marathon um, a trial in Boston for the for the bomber, and it wasn't front-page news. It was in the middle of the New York Times, and it, it, it has been forgotten. And the reason to remember it is really because it continues, and it's now, it's, you know, unfortunately in the past year, we've seen two domestic terrorist attacks. We've had more internationally, and, and unfortunately it, it will probably will continue. And the thing that I think we all got from making this film is that it does. It doesn't actually tear people apart. It brings them closer, and it mm-hmm. makes them stronger. Yeah, it, it's interesting you mentioned the two recent attacks, um, and the film points out that uh, Tamla and Sarlev had been under surveillance mm-hmm. at one point um, over fears of ties to terrorism. And it turned out that he hadn't actually gotten in touch with any radicals while at in, least they uh, couldn't prove any. They couldn't prove any right. in, in right. Dagestan where, when he was visiting, and he had self-radicalized in the states with a lot over the internet i i don't think people realize how common this can be when it comes to stateside radicalization it's just it, in a lot of ways it just takes the internet to make this possible and it's extremely difficult to track much less try to prevent well you you're seeing people recruiting from for the jihad in the United States for the internet. I mean, that is why you, you, you know, people are going over to Syria now. They're not, they haven't been there and been recruited. They're being recruited here. And, um, that's very much true what happened with the brothers in Boston, the Sarnayevs. You don't do, though, a lot of sort of editorializing in the film. And there are a lot of places you could go about, you know, commenting on, you know, how people, whether people, the process of radicalization or, or things like that. But there isn't much of that in the movie. 
Is it a tempting thing, though, to to want to inject those types of things into the story you're telling? You know, I mean, the, the one obvious place was in the interview with the FBI agent, mm-hmm. um, uh, Ramsey. And, you know, I, I asked him, I, you know, what are we to do? What What's the future look like? What? And really, there it, it's not. I mean, it's complicated. It's obviously very complicated. But the simple response is that it's going to take everybody uh, speaking up and knowing who your neighbors are and and being sensitive to to these Internet websites, you know, the websites Mm -hmm. that it's not just the FBI and CIA doing their job. It's sort of it's become now, you know, and you look at the most recent cases, there wasn't a lot to tip anybody off. and, And I think that's what the FBI at least has said to us. Um, but you're right. I mean, we could have delved into so many interesting areas. The film really does just stay, stays focused on the survivors. Well, I'll give you a little bit of a chance to editorialize a bit or inject uh, some <laughs> uh-huh. of your own opinion. One of the things I thought that was really interesting, because I've seen this happen before in reaction, there's a, and I forget his name, but there's a writer from the Boston Globe who wrote a really expansive piece on the uh, Zarnev family dynamic. I mm-hmm. remember actually reading this when it came out. And what could have caused the brothers to reach this ugly place where they turned to terrorism? And the reaction that he received just for writing this piece was a lot of anger where people see him as trying to humanize these monsters. Mm -hmm. And this happens a lot where you see people get upset at the idea of trying to understand terrorism as opposed to just condemning it, which to me feels pretty self-evident. Of course, you're going to condemn terrorism. Nobody except for terrorists would get behind terrorism. But it's just this interesting reaction that nobody seems to want to try to understand it. They just want to condemn it. Right. I mean, so what you're referring to is the Globe did a very long, very in-depth piece about the family, the the fall of the House of Sarnayev, and why these brothers became radicalized. How did it happen? And David Filipov, the reporter, who's now the bureau chief in, in Moscow, had spent a lot of time in Russia and... You know, he he wrote and he researched and studied this family. I mean, he concludes that essentially that the brother Tamerlan became radicalized on his own, that there really wasn't anyone recruiting him. There wasn't a cell and he was disgruntled. And this is the way he he took it out. Um, but what, but he does receive all this hate mail and they did receive a lot of hate for actually talking about this family. And ultimately what I found was fascinating and it came out in this interview is that his own father was killed. His father was in the plane flying from Boston that was flown into the World Trade Center. And so he says, you know, I don't want to think about these people. I don't want to question it. But if we don't, then we're never going to understand why it's happening. Why do you think though? This reaction happens, though, because, I mean, for, for example, I mean, if you just watch the History Channel, you can tell there's no such thing as too much of an examination of Hitler. Mm-hmm. I mean, there'll, there'll be show after show after show or, or Mussolini or other people throughout history that it's OK to examine them. But when it comes to, in particular, terrorism, we seemingly don't like that type of reaction. I mean, is it about passage of time or, I guess location people feeling more vulnerable when it happens in the united states i think there's something about the fact that these i mean i'll speak specifically about the boston bombers i think the fact that they were they were living in cambridge uh as a citizen citizens and um they were accepted into the community so to 
to and so to go back and understand their history, I think there was just so much understandable anger that people didn't want to waste their time talking about the perpetrators. And I think we do have a history in the United States of we name the attackers, we name the perpetrators, and we don't really name the survivors and the victims, mm-hmm. you know. And so the attention is usually focused on you know the, the the people who do these awful things and and that was really again the survivors now 3 years out really wanted the attention to be on the survivors yeah and it, it was one of the interesting things of, about the the story is is their reaction to to the bombers you know the the division between those survivors who would want the death penalty and those who didn't and you know both sides having positions that are completely understandable given the context how in in your experience, how did you see them kind of relate to the larger questions of, you know, whether the Sarnaev specifically terrorism more broadly and some of these issues that kind of keep coming up as, you know, the the trial goes on and 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 you know other things happen around the world. I mean, it, I would imagine that their their perspective is so different than really anything out the rest of us could come up with well what i what i you know specifically about the death penalty the, there was a split um you know people it's it's people have a very personal reaction you know, to the death penalty but what was great especially in this climate political climate is that they really respected each other's opinion mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a divisive thing between the survivors they could respect the reasons why one would want the death penalty and one does not believe in the death penalty but overall what i have experienced that I, they think that they feel is they feel this kind of global connection to all victims of terrorism that now i mean patrick down says it you know they have this weird expertise in being blown up mm-hmm. and they only wish that you know this expertise they could help encourage others who are victims of terrorism and they've gone um the corcoran's went to um orlando to be with the pulse victims so you know i do feel like now you you see in the past just really i think in the past year that there's this sense of like we're all in this together and and we can we understand it in an intimate way and hopefully our experience can help others in their recovery yeah, there, Jessica talks about in the movie, you know, my identity is that of a double amputee now. Mm-hmm. Like, this is who I am. And, you know, she has friends who are going on, you know, having children or, you know, moving forward in their jobs. Like all the things that she expected to be doing, but all of a sudden she's not because of this unexpected tragedy. Did you find that mentality that she was experiencing pretty common among the different victims going through it or did it sort of very person by person i think i think it varies but i i do think that for all, all of them this experience changed them it's not something you get over it changes you and but it has to change you in a way in which you can grow from it um i think for jessica just because she is still so physically impeded by her injury and she can't walk she's still in a wheelchair it's just something she never saw for her future as a young woman in her 30s who was very athletic so I, I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think everyone sort of, and they all sort of go through ups and downs, is what yeah, what, what right. I hear. What was where where were you? Like, what was your connection to the the bombing the day it happened? 
Well, my my husband's family is often from Boston. Okay. My husband's from Boston. And so, I, I mean, mine was people living there saying we're going into lockdown, you know, four days later. And um, but, you know, it, it, it was it, so it was personal on some level, but also very peripheral. You know, you heard there was a bombing. You didn't really understand the implications of it. You know, oh, they hadn't caught the guy. But honestly, I was in New York City and mm-hmm. I and I, I didn't really until later. Uh, and in watching this material, really fully understand what happened that day. Right, and, and the, it kind of gets back to what we were talking about before. It's like you know whether it's Orlando. Orlando feels very distant to people in LA, yeah. Where we record this, you know, you're sympathetic, but you don't feel it. You know, Boston is, with the exception perhaps of 9/11, because it was one of the, the first, one of the first ones, and mm-hmm. it was such something on such a massive scale. Yep. But even that means something different to New Yorkers than it does to everyone else. So, mm-hmm. as a New Yorker, were you who were you in New York? I was there in nine eleven. Okay, yeah. so you were, and in I New was York. in Paris during the Paris attacks last year. Which means it means something different to you than it does for the rest of us too. Um, what what did you learn about the the understanding that people have? Of, of local events, of how these matter to Boston specifically, you know, differently than you than you initially understood it from being in New York. Well, one thing I would say is you've had San Bernardino in California, mm-hmm. and and you know you you shut your your airport down when there was a questionable, you know. So we're all feeling it in the United States this this sense of unease, and not to be at all, you know, a fear fear monger because I I don't believe that. I think we actually have to not be afraid, and we have to live our lives. But I would say what what was surprising when we got into making this film about Boston is just this I, this idea of Boston strong, that Boston, it, it's like you have a, a, a knot and it just got tighter, that the people in Boston uh, became so much closer. And it is a close city. It's a tribal city, you know, sports right. and all those things, as you guys know. Right. Um, and and that, like, people, they, they owned this whole experience and we're going to be showing it in Boston and it's going to be right. and they, sure very and they mentioned that at the beginning like this is it's it's the most provincial city in the in the country and this is the one day we're nice to and, outsiders yes right. true, true. And, and that's to me that to me was one of the ironies that really stuck out in this movie is that this is the day where people who felt alienated like these brothers for whatever reason mm-hmm. and you know the dark path that that alienation led them towards this event symbolizes people trying to bring in people like that and trying to prevent, I mean, trying to prevent something like that from happening or feelings like that manifesting. This is the one day where, in terms of symbolism, mm-hmm. something like this should never happen. Right. And, I, you know, we'll never know unless unless one, the brother, the living brother, Shahar Sarnayev, talks about it. But we, we don't really know if they targeted it because of that because it is an international day you know it's hard it's we can only speculate why Mm -hmm. i mean it's crowds that that seems to make sense finish line but um you know it it it, you're right it it is i think for bostonians and and people who love the marathon and you know it's as you said it's a huge international event people have this relationship to the marathon even if they weren't there that year I, I get these emails. I ran the marathon six years ago, and I, I can't believe it happened to our marathon. So people are connected to this event. Um, I, the last thing I was curious about is is what it's like to dive, to immerse yourself into such a, a horrible event and into such emotional circumstances for as long as it takes to make a movie. Because <laughs> uh, this is... 
It's not an easy watch. Not I mean a, that as a compliment. Right. And it, so I can only imagine what doesn't make it into the film is also, yeah. you know, I mean, it's not like, you know, thank God we came up with, you know, the 95 minute, whatever it is of, yeah. of, of the good stuff to, to live in that world and have to kind of recreate it and reconstruct it in, in that way as a filmmaker. What is that experience like? Uh, you know, it, it definitely, uh, I always said, oh, it doesn't, I, I don't. I'm not, you know, I'm, I've done this now. I did, we did a film about Darfur, and I realize now that actually it does. It affects your dreams. You dream about bombs. It's just like you, you can't help that. Your subconscious just, so in the day, in your day, you, you just, you become a filmmaker and you just compartmentalize it. But I, I notice at night at when I'm sleeping that it just all floods out. And I think, um, but I think being with these survivors for over a year and, and knowing them now as we as we've begun to show the film, you know, um, as hard as it is at times to sort of see what they're going through, they're so inspiring and what they can accomplish is actually it, it actually makes it all feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last question I have um, at the end of the movie, and I, I don't think this feels like a spoiler alert yeah. for this type of movie. There are various victims of of the explosion who attend the Boston Marathon. Yep. What was that like for them to be back at that scene? Um, for So J.P. Norton is one. He goes back with his mom, Liz, because um, his wife is running it. And it was really, really hard for them. Uh, we, you know, had crews with our different various people who were at the finish line. And um, we didn't know if they would make it, you know, they didn't know if they would make it. They kept saying, well, let you know, I'll let you know, um, how I feel. Um, and so I think everyone reacts differently. I know Celeste Corcoran doesn't like to be in crowds, but she's been at the finish line before. And, um, and some of the other uh, victims who lost their, their, family members were there too i i the richards family mm-hmm, correct um mm-hmm. i mean they lost their little boy I, right. I, it was stunning to me that they could even be within the vicinity they lost of that little boy the father lost an eye and the daughter yeah, lost a leg, a leg. I mean, it's like yeah. the whole family it, it was yeah. shocking to me that they yeah. could be even in that general vicinity much less on the day of of the marathon. But that says so much about who those people are and, and who all those people are who have survived it. They were a family that went to the marathon every year to 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 cheer on runners. And they didn't just, they weren't there just for the elite runners. They were there late in the day to cheer on the everyman who ran who runs this race. And that's what that family is about and that's what a lot of these families are about. Being there, many of them now work for charities that provide funding for for people who've lost limbs that aren't, you know, getting funding like people who who from the marathon because they appreciate so much uh what they received. And um so that is it's an amazing community. The movie is Marathon, the Patriots Day bombing. It debuts on HBO November 21st. Ricky Stern, thank you very much for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you.